0: Amen, brother. We'll take that. <clears throat> well, as we continue in worship this morning, I, uh, again, I'm looking at a, a passage for this Christmas season. So if you would open your Bibles to Matthew, or turn in your Bibles rather, to Matthew chapter 2. And this is, a, I would imagine, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you're familiar with the wise men coming and worshiping and inquiring about this Jesus And and, uh, seeking him out in the direction in which the Lord leads. And we always refer to them as, you know, wise men. Maybe you've heard that or seen that at Christmas lights. You know, wise men still seek him. uh, Those kinds of things. But this is where it's taken from, this passage of scripture. And and this morning I like to look at it simply from uh, the understanding of asking us, are we wise? Are you wise this morning? And I mean that in the biblical sense. Um, you know, wisdom and being wise, it seems, you know, if you look upon our culture, it seems as if it's kind of fallen on hard times, right? So when we live in a world of this postmodern world and and human uh, knowledge, right, are are the, the end, if you will, of, of what it means. If, if I understand it, then it's true. And if I don't understand it, then it's not true. And we can reject it. And you can have your truth and I can have my truth, right? And Uh, wisdom cries out and we seem to neglect it. You know, you've heard of the, if a tree falls in the, the, the forest, right, does it make a sound? Well, today we would say no, because I wasn't there to hear it, so thus it didn't exist, right? And that's what we're dealing with. There was a a story that one person told one time, and he was kind of making this point, and he said, you know, there was this faculty member, there was this dean of this university, and he, he said this angel came down and said, you know, you've done such a wonderful job uh, speaking to this dean in front of all the faculty, and the angel said, you did such a great job, the Lord would like to bless you with one of three things. He said, we can give you, the Lord will give you wealth or wisdom or beauty, Whatever you, do, whatever you desire, and he, without hesitation, said, I desire wisdom. And the angel said, boom, right, there's wisdom, you have it. And of course, there was some smoke and lightning bolts, and the angel was gone. And after a moment of silence, the faculty looked at the dean, wanting some nuggets of wisdom, right, and asked, well, you know, say something. The dean, once again, without hesitation, said, well, I should have asked for the money, All right." You know that's not true. An angel didn't come down. Okay, all right. You should have known there was going to. Okay. My point with that is just simply that wisdom isn't something we naturally seek out. It's not something we want. Uh, it's definitely not what's happening in, in the universities today, in our culture today. It's going the other way. And the Bible commends us and calls us, right, to engage your mind and to think logically, right, about life, about the world, about your soul, about eternity. And in this passage of Scripture, it says uh, Matthew 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 here in a moment. We see uh, what, what Matthew shows us really is a picture of how people react to Jesus. And I would, I would venture to say that uh, this is the same reaction we see today, I think Matthew hits something for us, and you see how Herod will respond to him. You see how God's people respond to this truth. You see what uh, these really pagan, right, wise men from another country who are coming and what they're doing. So he gives us some insight, and we look upon this and say, wow, Jesus is being born, and yet uh, God's people seem like, and the way Matthew communicates this, could simply care less other than being troubled. So I want to pose this and look at this passage and look at these different uh, things and learn what, do, what should we be seeing in our life? Are we wise? Right? Are we biblically wise? Are we growing? And so I think there's some things that we can gather from this. But this is what Matthew records. Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12. And Matthew says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Then Herod, the king, heard this. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them. Where the Messiah was to be born, they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And stood over the place where Jesus was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell on the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned... By God, in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. We offer a brief prayer. Father, once again, we thank you for this time. We ask, Lord, simply that by your Spirit, you would give us insight and teach us the truths of your word, that we would grow in understanding and grow in our sanctification. And Father, get me out of the way that we would receive, each of us would receive what you have for us today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's good. So here's the background of this passage a little bit. Uh, Scripture kind of is looking at this this Christmas story, right? We're used to uh, speaking of the birth of Jesus, and yet we kind of get from this passage that Matthew seems to focus really on the divisions that Jesus, even at his birth, brings. Right? He gives us... Not so much that Jesus is born or the the nature of it, we just are told that. And then he gives us some insight about these um, wise men, the magi, right, from the east coming and seeking this star, having some type of knowledge and, and coming to Jerusalem and coming to seek this out and coming to worship the king of the Jews. Now, Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem. And the, the star takes them to Jerusalem. And some scholars think, well, you know, they're just thinking in their own mind, if a king is born, this is where they would go. They assume this could be the case, right? But we also know that they are, to some extent, following a star. Star leads them to Jerusalem. And this, uh, at this moment where they come here, they learn, right, from the religious leaders and those who are seeking the scriptures, that Jerusalem, or excuse me, Bethlehem is six miles away. So it's, it's less than a two-hour walk, right? If, if It took me some time, I'll be honest with you. I had a hard time finding a location from our church. Like if we were to start walking from here, where is six miles? And the best I could get was uh, Santa Fe and, and Belcher, the golf range there. If you're familiar with that, if we were to walk from here out to Santa Fe and walk down there, there's about six miles. Depending on what app you use, it could be 6.2 or 5.9, so, you know, but you get the idea. That's how far they are going to walk. And in those times, I mean, really, uh, Bethlehem was like a, a suburb. I mean, today it would be like a suburb of Jerusalem, if you get that kind of idea, right? In a good road, they would go. I mean, people from, from Bethlehem would travel to Jerusalem. They would experience these things, right? That's, that's very common. So it's not like it comes to this moment and all the religious leaders and Herod are like, you know, six miles, Just that seems that's too far, right? Bethlehem's—it's way over there. It's not really way over there, right? We're not talking a whole big distance. And yet we see, as Matthew points this out, that uh, this six miles, it's just not worth it to God's people. It's not uh, worth it to go and seek this out. I mean, last week we looked at Simeon, right? Who was full of the Holy Spirit, who was waiting. He was told by God, he will see the Messiah, before he dies. So there are some who are waiting, but the majority, what Matthew paints the picture for us today is most people could simply care less. Jesus isn't worth six miles. Isn't it amazing that here at Jesus' birth, you have pagans acknowledging that he is king of the Jews. And at his death, we have another pagan who writes above the cross, king of the Jews. What does that tell you about God's people? I think we can miss some of these things right in front of us. So we have the magi who know really little. They're following a star. The Lord has given some type of knowledge. They know specifically to ask for the king of the Jews at his birth, and yet the scribes and the teachers don't know really what's going on. We have to go seek this out. You can imagine their response. Did you not see that giant star shining over there? Right? You can imagine them going, you guys have no idea. I mean, this is your land, your king, and you have no idea? It's just, uh, you know, Matthew is painting this picture. You see the response. You see a profound parallel today in the church and in our community, right, in our government, what we see in the lives of what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't allow us. Scripture never allows you a gray area. You're either for him or against him. This is true of his birth. And we see the condition, the spiritual condition of God's people. So even at his birth, he points this out, right? Even at his birth, there is division. So what do we glean from this? What are we to learn from this? This is your first point. I just put the wise, and I'm meaning those who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are believers, the wise will seek and follow Jesus. I believe, and maybe you disagree with me, that if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you're actually going to follow him. You're going to believe scripture. You're going to believe these things. When Jesus said, uh, pick up your cross and follow, that you understand that as there's a direction of my life. He didn't say, pick up your cross and stand still. He didn't say, pick up your cross and move backwards. He didn't say, hey, it's optional. Hey, when you feel like it on good days, right? All these other things and excuses that, hey, I'm a human, what we put in there. He said, come pick up this cross and follow. And it's my conviction that this is the life of a believer. Those who are full of the Holy Spirit will seek, continue to seek, and follow after Christ. This is what Matthew says. Let me explain to you how I got there. He says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? They have some knowledge. It's not just a star and they think, hey, someone important's been born. They have some definitive knowledge about what this means. Now, Matthew doesn't say, hey, God gave them a dream or God gave them some understanding. He does say at the end of our passage that God told them in a dream not to go back to Herod. So, you know, we trust the the omnipresence and the sovereignty of God. He's orchestrating something here. But Matthew doesn't camp out on that, right? They have some definitive knowledge. They go to Jerusalem and they ask the right question where is where is he who's been who's been born king of the jews we saw the star in the east and have come to worship him so we see the fulfillment of prophecy we see this throughout Scripture, right? Bethlehem is the, the place that we know Jesus was going to be born. It's the home, the city of David. And as you know, Micah speaks of this uh, prophecy that Christ will be born here, they search the Scriptures and they say, hey, this is it. We know this. And isn't it amazing that God's people aren't, aren't looking for this, they're not paying attention for this, but God uses right, heathen people to come and stir his own people, that they themselves would look to scripture. I think we learn some things about these uh, wise men, right? They demonstrate their conviction about Jesus to some extent. Their conviction about uh, who he is. Someone important has been born and it's worth my time and my energy to go and seek this out. They demonstrate. They're not passive in this. They think, well, we need to go find this child who has been born a king. So they're on, and I put this in your notes, they're on an unusual journey. See, this morning, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are on an unusual journey. It is contrary to everything that the world says. Right? You are to be light, and the world is darkness. We are to be a shining uh, example of who Christ is, where the world says, you know what, if it feels good do it. You can have your truth. I can have my truth. As long as your truth doesn't step on my toes, we're all good, right? Because that's when it becomes, it's all relative until you affect me, then you have to change. This is what we see out of the universities, right? You have to accept me for who I am because I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to reject and cast off anything that God says, his word that teaches me about me. So this morning, you have to realize that you are to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You are to seek him out. Today, it's very common to think, well, I've got my, uh, maybe you've heard this, fire insurance. I've believed on Jesus at this one moment in my life, and that's pretty much the extent of it. I'm good. I'll go to church here and there and you know, put my time in just so I have something to reference when, when I stand before the king. Hey, remember those times I was there, right? We think that way. And I'm not saying that's any of us this morning because clearly you're here in church, right? But some of us think this way and we think, well, I'm good. I've got enough. But the command of scripture is that we would be disciples. See, our journey is to develop. It is to grow The Bible uses language like sanctification, right? The commands of Scripture. We're to be obedient. We're to follow after him, not just when it's easy or convenient. We're to be looking for him in our lives. We're to be demonstrating him to the lost. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that there is a direction in your life and it marks out who you are. See, the, the following after Jesus, the, this journey he's placed you on is, is a direction, not perfection. That happens when we go to heaven, right? That's when glorification happens. So if you're breathing this morning, I can say with 100% confidence, you're just not perfect, right? You're not there yet. Neither am I, right? I'm in that boat. But we keep moving forward. The wise men demonstrate this simple truth, right? They're going somewhere. Jesus is enough. However much knowledge they have, they know he's, he's a Jew. He's king of the Jews. He's king at his birth. We're going to go and worship. We've brought gifts. I mean, all of this is in the passage. And yet he shows up. They show up to their, to God's people, right? None of them will make the six-mile trip. So this leads to the second thing. But there's a significant purpose. They're going to come and worship the King. See, in your own life, you're to be an example. You're to shine this light. You're to be something. Your your journey is not just you. You have purpose. See, this is the one thing the Christian has that the world can never, of course, many things, but the world can never have. See. When, when a Christian understands theologically that God is sovereign over everything, in those moments of hardship, you understand there is purpose. We may not know or understand why this side of eternity, why, Lord, did I go through this? And our prayers might have that why, right? Lord, why? And maybe our prayers are full of tears. We say, why, Lord, why is this? We realize that even in these things, he's shaping you. And making you into the image of his son. That we would live this life in trust. That we would live this life knowing I'm on a journey. This is not my home. I don't live for the temporal things. I live for eternal things. And it marks you as radically different. Just being on this journey. Just going this direction is so different than the rest of the world. That we can sing like the children. Thank you Jesus. Right? Thank you God. Thank you for Jesus. Because I know that in this moment or this situation or this hardship, there is a day coming. And I have hold of that in my life. I can answer the question, Where is he? I know he lives. I know in whom I have believed, like Paul. Yet these wise men come and pose this question, and what do they they receive in response? We didn't notice the star. I would imagine, you know, there was probably a question of, you know, it's popular to say, you know, that moment of going, uh, what? Right? Imagine if Herod kind of thought that, or at least maybe expressed it. Where's this king? Uh, what? So they arrive at this situation, and it's a, it's a message they have. It's a question they present, and it's completely unexpected. They're not looking for it. Think about The religious leaders have no idea. Here are these guys from another country coming, these pagans, these Gentiles. We actually have some information, and we're just totally scratching our heads. It's an unexpected question. See, they're on a a journey. They have purpose. It's contrary to the world. So we bring this home. If I take this question that I posed in my title, are you wise? But if I was to ask you, where is Christ in your life, how would you answer that? What if the world was to come to you and say, where is Jesus? Where is the one who was born? Give me the the understanding of Christmas. Maybe we could ask it about in our own life is to simply say, am I demonstrating that I'm following after Jesus Christ? Am I wise this way? It's a question from the pagan world. It's a question from these wise men to Herod and to the religious leaders. Do you know where Jesus is? John 1, 10 and 11 says, he was in the world, speaking of Christ, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. This is a real struggle for us, right? We're on a journey. We're on a direction. There should be purpose to our life. It doesn't, again, doesn't mean perfect, but it means that you're moving forward. And sometimes we go through life with with neglecting the very thing, right, of Jesus. I know we're busy. I know we have schedules. But how does Jesus saturate these things in your life? There was a story of a lady who was... enjoying a violinist who had played so masterly her instrument and afterwards she asked her and said how do you how did you get to to this level of playing and her response was two words she said planned neglect And then she went on to explain, you know, I used to practice my instrument. I would would go to my room and and make my bed and and go through all the things that that needed to happen, all the things I had to take care of, and then I got to my instrument. And then I realized in life I just wasn't accomplishing the things that needed to get done on my instrument. So I planned to neglect the other things that really could be put off to the following day, and I focused on my instrument, and when my practicing was done, I would then go and work on the other things. See, that's, a, that's a, how often in our own life, right? That hits at home. Is there planned neglect in the wrong way in your life? Is it, well, I've got these things to do, right? I've got this and this, and I understand schedules. Trust me, I understand that completely. But there has to be a moment in your life of planned neglect of those things where you say, you know what? I'm gonna spend this next hour with the Lord's word open in front of me, pleading for his Holy Spirit to give me direction and insight and encouragement. Because I don't know about you, but those are things that we need. You're all breathing, you live in this world. I don't know about you, but some encouragement would be good. So there's the challenge we see this right this question posed from the world the pagan world coming to this situation of course Herod is not a believer and uh, but yet the religious leaders are troubled that's what we see next right so this leads on to the next point we are your followers we're going to seek this is what uh, wise those who are full of the Holy Spirit wise are going to be doing my second point verses 3 through 8 is the wise right will heed and apply God's word when Herod the king heard this He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Right, So there's conversation happening, isn't there? They are asking, where is the king of the Jews? Now he's equating this to the Messiah, but not fully understanding right, what Scripture says about the Messiah. In verse 5, it says, They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, and by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, right, hearing this, he's plotting a plan, secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go And search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. You know, it's interesting here as we look upon this passage that you see the contrast Right. Matthew seems to make this just completely clear for us. There are the, the pagans coming asking the question. Now the word Messiah, the right title is being used, and, and this conversation is unfolding and happening. And they're clearly talking about other passages of scripture, I would imagine. And maybe part of this is is to explain, right, what his purpose is. But you know, Matthew doesn't record that for us, but i imagine some of that is happening. And we realize that here we see the the people, God's people, who are troubled at the thought of a Messiah coming. All of Israel, Matthew records for us, here we see the wise, these wise men causing a disturbance. Outside of the people of God, there is a disturbance, right? It's, It's not the Jews who affected these pagans, it's these pagans who are affecting the Jews. And I think there's something that Matthew gets a hold of here for us. There's this way of thinking, right? We can see the parallel from this time when Jesus is born to today. We we see the same response. In Scripture, we see uh, some people just didn't anticipate. They weren't looking for uh, any type of Savior. There could be various reasons for this, right? We have our schedules. We have uh, we have our rhythms. Uh, it's been 400 years. I mean, g- give us a break, right? There's a silence between the Old Testament and coming into the New. Uh, maybe we've gotten so used to the way things have been. You know, there's a status quo happening. I mean, how often do we, do we see this in our own lives? The, the, the world is happy with Christians if you just kind of go about the things or do the, what, you, what you want to do their way, right? Uh, just don't bother us. There's this... this uh, A way of just saying, you know what? Don't disturb our lives. We kind of have this thing working out. Just leave us alone. I think you see in Herod the representation of the government. The government wants to control. Want to control the situation and extinguish any opposition. Uh, We realize that in in the globe today and throughout history, there's two spiritual families. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. Adam. One in Christ leads to heaven. Those who haven't repented of their sins who are not in Christ, right, just by mere definition are and been born into and will stay into Adam, which heads to hell. So we see the government. We realize that they're operating this way. Herod clearly is operating this way, control. But how does that thinking made its way into the church today? I mean, often, maybe in our own lives, we may feel this, that a child coming is an inconvenience, right? The birth of Christ, they're coming to church on a Sunday. Maybe we're looking for something different. The Jews were looking for a savior who would come and just, hey, take out the Romans. That's cool, right? We can just wipe them out and we're all good with this. The Pharisees, when Jesus walked the earth, right, I would say didn't have a real problem with him as long as he would get in line. Do it our way. I mean, let's let's face it, many didn't simply believe, right? Believe in God, believe, could care less about God. They simply ignored the scriptures. So I think what you see is many of God's people who are comfortable with a humanistic style of religion, we've kind of worked this thing out. And there's really nothing new under the sun. Isn't that the same in the Exodus? Moses, was, he's been up on that mountain for a while. I'm sure he's dead. Let's, let's figure out something else. Let's figure out our own way. I know, let's get a golden calf together. Right? It's the same. What is happening? I don't really believe or trust. I wouldn't say those words out loud, but you know what? You know, I'll work this out my own way. If I can't believe scripture, scripture isn't true. If, right, the tree falls in the forest. I didn't hear it. Well, there it is. Is often we've gotten really comfortable. Just this is what we do. It's not who we are. But someone who's full of the Holy Spirit is going to listen to God's word, is going to apply it to their lives. I mean, here these pagans are following through, whether they're being into Scripture, they're they're doing. Ronald Meredith he shared this story of one. Uh, spring night he said suddenly out of the night came a sound of wild geese flying and he says he he ran to the window and he wanted to just see this the wild geese flying across the moon and he thought well that was it that was beautiful but then uh, he noticed that from their pond there were some tame mallards right who heard this the call of the wild geese they started to respond their own way. They started to to honk out in the middle of the night. And and he says that they were full of this response, this urge to take flight. Our brothers are flying. We're going to join in. And he watched them do their best to leave the pond. But not one of them was able to get out of the water. And he concludes after watching this experience that he said the matter was really settled long ago. He said the corn of the barnyard was too tempting. Now their desire to fly only made them uncomfortable. Temptation, he says, is always enjoyed at the price of losing the capacity for flight. Sometimes in life we just get comfortable. It's a lot easier, I will tell you, right, to to simply just go along with the status quo. It's something radically different to say, you know what, I'm actually going to love my dear. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to do the commands of Scripture I'm gonna stand for truth. I'm gonna be a part of the militant church that says, no, he's king. He was king at his birth. He's king at his death. He will forever be king, and this is my conviction. See, the world will focus on temporal things. The believer focuses on eternal things, and the believer is to give thought, just as scripture communicates about their soul. Your soul will spend eternity somewhere. And one of the things you see out of the world is not, right? Not thinking about eternity. J.C. Ryle has this, this wonderful quote from his little book of thoughts for young men. And he says this, he says, men will not think clearly. They will not look forward. They will not look around them. They will not reflect on the end of their lives And the inevitable consequences of their current ways. They will awake at last to find they are damned for a failure to think. What does he mean by that? He says, he stresses upon young men give thought to your soul, give thought to who you are, give thought to eternity. We don't often speak of those things, but we must. Uh, we must give thought to the world, doesn't think this way. And the believer who is heeding and applying God's word realizes that this isn't all there is. And so we want to be sure that we're in Christ. I believe uh, Luke 12, 17 through 20, when, when Jesus speaks of the parable of the rich fool, hits on this. He says, And he began reasoning to himself, saying, This is the rich fool. Uh, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool this very night. Your soul is required of you. To the believer is to be fool, right, of, of God's truth, to heed and apply, to understand that this is not all there is, that there are people around us, those we have influence over, who are going to spend an eternity, right, with God's wrath and not his goodness. The world needs light. And when God's word fails to be preached, fails to be lived out, ultimately, the light will disappear, we discussed yesterday morning with our men's ministry, working through the book, Courageous, right, and uh, Strong and Courageous. We discussed this very thing, what happens to a church when the Bible isn't open, when it isn't preached. The word of God goes, so ultimately we'll go to the church. We see this in our society, right, of people who, who say, well, I'm at the top of the, the reasoning. I'm at the top, them. the pinnacle of thought is self. We realize when when truth becomes relative that way, ultimately it leads to irrationality because we can make anything true or false and we can do it at the same time. God's word is objectively true. We heed his truth. We apply it to our lives. We live in a way where we demonstrate to the world that is lost. There is a king. His name is Jesus. He was king at his birth. He is king now. See, lost souls need Christ. And I believe by God's spirit, they will come to churches or come to, to other Christians seeking. What does it mean? Why are you different? What is, what, why is it important that you assemble together this way on a Sunday morning? And if they can't find Christ in his church and they can't find it in our lives, well, ultimately, they're gonna stop looking for him So the wise continue, right? We continue to heed his word. We get it open. We wrestle with it. And there's passages, brothers and sisters, that are difficult. Some that'll keep you awake. I'm going to say that's a good thing. Chew on those things. Pray over those things. Ask God's help in those passages that are difficult. But don't yield. Keep moving forward. It's so easy for us to simply say, well, I messed up today, I guess. I guess there's no hope. And I've used this illustration countless times. And here you may roll your eyes, but I'm going to use it again. I've never met a person who ever got a flat tire, went out and popped the other three tires and said, well, I'm afraid it's useless. I've never, if you have, please introduce me or share it with me. I've never met that person. But how many times in our own spiritual walk, will we have that day where it's simply a bad tire, Where we need to call it sin and repent of it, Find accountability and work through that, but instead we go, you know what? Forget it. No, right? Jesus was born for this purpose. We can be redeemed. Solomon says in the scripture reading over and over those who cry out receive help. He is a rescuer, He is accessible, He hears our faintest cries. And we learn that because we're in his word. And we know who he is. And this leads to my last point this morning. Right? The wise, those full of God's spirit, will acknowledge and worship him. This is what we see from these pagans. Verses 9 through 12, he says, And hearing uh, the king right, responding to Herod, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where, where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You know, as we look at all these moments where, you know, different people are interacting with Mary, you can imagine Mary's just like, oh, what now, right? The shepherd have come, the angel have been singing, we've seen Simeon holding the child, telling us. Now there's these, these wise men from the east. I mean, by now she should figure out there is something really different about this child. But I think the one thing you have to realize is that from the beginning to the end of this, God has been leading these these, these wise men. I mean, we really don't know anything about them other than they're from the east, right? They're, they have some gifts. We don't even know how many of them. We always assume there's three because there's three gifts, but it's just in a plural sense, there's more than one. And they come and they realize, right, by God's spirit, they come and worship. And through all of this, you see God's hand of leading. God has used these men to stir the hearts of his own people that Christ has come. So one of the things, I think I put this in your notes, is we can trust, if you are looking for Christ, if you're desiring him today, if I can say with confidence, as Paul says to the church in Corinth, you are here not by accident. Yes, you made that decision, but God has purposed and placed you here that this morning you would hear simply this, that if you're outside of Christ, he is accessible to you. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not a joke. And maybe this morning God is using his word to stir your own heart. The wise will continue to seek him and God will continue to lead us to him. Isn't it amazing? The the star is there and they go to Jerusalem. The star is gone. They learn about Bethlehem. It's there. It stops. All of this, you see the orchestration of God. So I think there's a great takeaway, a great encouragement for us is that God will lead us, He'll ultimately lead us to Calvary. For Christ atoned for our sins, if you are here today outside of Jesus, know that he is accessible to you. If you are in Christ Jesus today, going through a hardship, understand that Christ is accessible to you. Understand that this morning we are full of Christ's Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It's a blessing upon God's church. We also learn that there is a response when we know Christ. We know that God has led us to Calvary or led us right in our passage to Jesus. The wise respond appropriately. They respond in worship. This marks, right, who a Christian is. The Lord's day is not a day of drudgery. Well, it's Sunday. I have to go to church. It's Sunday. God has given me breath and I get to assemble with his people. I get to lift my voice and worship with my brothers and sisters, and I know my brothers and sisters. I know uh, this family here or this person there is singing out with tears this morning because I'm aware of, of the struggle they're working through, and yet their voice is as loud as anyone else's because they know in whom they have believed, and they worship the King. They're not going to be stopped. See, we're, we realize we don't worship a day. Christmas isn't like we're so lucky it worked out that Jesus was born on Christmas. You know, some of us treat it that way. No, he is. He's the reason. We don't worship a day. It's not a magical day. We worship a living king. He's not a humanistic savior. He's not the way the world would want him. You know, he is exactly what we need. He's exactly what Jesus and God said, this is how I redeem my people. It is his truth. And we are blessed because this morning we can call upon his great name. We can desire, just like Solomon, his great works because he is accessible. And when we know him and he's led us to Calvary, we respond in humility and say, you're the king you will always be the king Lord thank you for reigning and ruling over my life and isn't it amazing that here we see the pagans who are operating this way God's people have have come to the point of saying at least for the amount of information they have that six miles again is just too far but see those who will say you know what he's worth six miles. He's worth everything. With Christ, I know I am saved. I know where I'll spend eternity. I know these hard days, these hardships at one point will end. I know there's a moment where there'll be no more tears, no more brokenness, right? No more issues and pain. The things we see, the unrest in society, I know that day is ahead of me. Because what do we experience, right? When we come and we know the king, when God has led us to Calvary and we respond in worship because he's the king, we realize that there is a deeper commitment. There is an experience that only those who are in Christ understand and enjoy. It is a peace that transcends all understanding because the king now resides in me. What a great blessing of Christmas. A great blessing of Calvary. A great blessing to everyone who believes in Jesus. God will guide us. This morning, we don't need a star. John 12, 46 says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. So the question that I can full circle and bring this back around is simply saying, are you wise this morning? Have you, or are you suffering from planned neglect regarding your walk with the Lord? That's a a toe step. I'd imagine there I stepped on everyone's toes and trust me, I've gotten my own. Is Christ in me? Is Christ evident in me? Am I living my life neglecting him? Am I living it because this is just another Sunday? Or do I come with anticipation that I'm going to worship the King of Kings? Does it take someone who is a non believer to stir your heart like these wise men who come to stir God's people? Is it someone, right, like, like Pilate who says, I have written what I have written. He is the king of the Jews. When God's people struggle with that acknowledgement. And we see the division at his birth. Do you see it in your heart? See, those who are full of the Spirit, it doesn't, it doesn't mean perfection. It means direction. But those who are full of God's Spirit, they're going to seek after Jesus. It's going to mark us as different. We're going to heed and apply his word. It's going to be precious to us. We're going to realize that there is purpose in my life. And not only does he know my name, he made me. And not only the issues and pain and sorrow that I'm going through, I know he's shaping me. It's a bowl of noble purpose, as Paul says in Romans 9. And see, those who are full of God's spirit will acknowledge, I may not know this side of eternity, why we went through this, or why I experienced that, or why these things are happening, but I know, I know in whom I have believed, and I will bow because he is the king. He's not a beggar. So with humility, I bow before the king, and I'll have him forever. We're going to close here in a moment by singing. We're just going to lift our voices and sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, which is right in our passage. But I do simply want to ask this question. If you're here this morning and you cannot with, with clear conviction say, I, I know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, don't go another day. Attend to your soul. Give thought to your soul. Give thought to eternity. Give thought to the idea that if I was uh, to not make it home tonight, would I have confidence that I'm in Christ Jesus? Oh, if that's you, then then we need to pray. You need to come and, and bow before the king. Repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Make him Lord of your life. Do not waver in that conviction. Follow after him. Have that truth. Have that confidence. Become one who is full of the Holy Spirit. Become one who is contrary to the world who is wise. We pray together. Father, we thank you. Again, we can simply bow our heads, our hearts before you and call upon your great name. We can realize that Christmas is not just about Lord, families coming together and, and gifts and all the things that come with it. It's about a Savior who was born. And from very, the very beginning of Genesis, Lord, from uh, the third chapter, we see that Christ was coming. This is your answer to our sin problem. And Father, we thank you that you stirred the hearts of those outside of your own people, to make your people aware. We thank you, Lord, this morning that your Spirit can stir our hearts and make us aware that we can ask the question of our own lives, where is Jesus? Is he seen in me? Does my love for Christ compel me in all my decision-making and how I treat my family and co-workers is Christ in me. So Lord, I pray by your spirit you would you would just, Lord, examine our hearts and our minds and Lord, impress upon us. We know some of these things aren't aren't easy, but they are good and necessary that we would have the confidence that we would repent of our sins and know, Jesus, that this Christmas would be completely different than all those who've gone before. So, Lord, by your Spirit, stir it. Let us ask that question of ourselves. Let us be honest with you. And, Lord, lead us to Calvary. Lead us to the cross where we can say he is Jesus. He is the King. He is my Saviour. And Father, with that truth, let us worship and let us follow. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your spirit. that we pray in us in this time, Lord, you would be glorified. You would lead us and direct us to that purpose. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.